remake is the perfect name for a piece of shit. There was a podcast called the Sequel Cast. They talked about movies. And they talked about something else called boobies. The Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast. www.sequelcast.com Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast, a podcast where we review movies one at a time in a franchise. This time around we're wrapping up our gigantic Planet of the Apes saga with a look at the Tim Burton 2001 film Planet of the Apes. That's sort of a remake, not really. And we're also going to be discussing the live-action Planet of the Apes TV show and the animated series Return to the Planet of the Apes. We're going to start, thing off, we're going to start things off with a discussion of these two TV series before going into the Tim Burton film. I'm your host, Uncle Milkshake. With me is Thrasher. Howdy. And Galen. Hello there. Now, I'm... we've spent a lot of time talking about these Planet of the Apes films over the past several episodes. Why? Well, you're the one that chose to, to do them. It was your turn to pick the That's true, Galen. Film. That's right. Ah, oh, Jesus. But, I mean, it's. I think it's been enjoyable for the most part. It, it's taken... No, I, I f- totally forgot. I think I think my reason was as I completely forgot how many things there were. <laughs> <laughs> And you also forgot that I would be a completist and would insist we do a wrap-up episode where we talk about all the spin-offs and remakes. Let's talk about the Dark Horse comics as well. Uh, well, we talked about a bit about some of those when Rich Handy was on for the Escape episode. So out of these two series, you have the live-action and the animated ones. Is there one you think in particular that's more successful? Um, it really depends on how you define success. Um, it, it's I mean. They, they only lasted, you know, the, both series only lasted one season. Um, I, you know, I, I, between the two, I prefer the, the Return to the Planet of the Apes, the animated series. The live-action series, the Planet of the Apes, it's the same formula. It's the same way they adapted the Incredible Hulk to the screen in the 1970s. The Planet of the Apes TV show, all it is is the prisoner Except instead of one guy running from the law, it's two guys running from apes. Mm. I'm sure not the prisoner of the fugitive. It's exactly like the fugitive. Because after all, it's the Incredible Hulk. The Incredible Hulk was just the fugitive, except at the beginning and the end of the episode, the guy returning to the Hulk. Well, again, how long could a story be of a guy, I guess, if they became part of that civilization? How far could you go action-wise if you just had two humans living in ape society, it wouldn't. I don't think it would be as interesting as the hunt. Well, no, no. The chase would be important. The chase, as Bugs Bunny pointed out, the chase is the beginning of the beginning and end of all uh, human storytelling. Uh, and and I don't mind the chase. It's it's just that it seems. I I don't know. It. it I suppose it dates the series. You know, it makes it it makes it more of a of a of a genre procedural than a science fiction television series. You know, I sat down, I rented the uh, first few episodes of the uh, Planet of the Apes live action show, and got ten minutes into the first episode and stopped. I, like Aldo, I stood up and said no. What? By that point, <laughs> I just had so much of an ape overload. I think, but. From the ten minutes that I saw, the production value seemed a bit higher than Battle for Planet of the Apes. Oh, yes. And there is a cool ape character with an eye patch. But I think my mistake was I went directly from watching an episode of the animated series to watching an episode of the live-action series. And when you have kind of a similar uh, setup with people with the spaceship crashing and people interacting with the apes and, and so forth, it was a bit much to take, I think, in one blow. But... Um, I'm really surprised both series are available on DVD. They're kind of obscure. You think they would be something that would only be available on YouTube or something that wouldn't have a formal release, but both of these uh, series did. Well, I think it's because the name Planet of the Apes is so well-known. That's what got these out on modern formats. And I wonder if some people wanting some of the apes mistakenly got the TV series in their uh, Netflix rentals. (laughs) That could be possible, yeah. Maybe. I can see it happening. But one thing that I really I want to stress, which is, I think, important um, with the Planet of the Apes, um, they do set 
that the entire kind of run of the show takes place in California. It's it's far from the future. And again, two astronauts crash. Luckily, in this one, it's more than just Taylor. It's two guys. And it seems that it's ten years after the whole thing with um, with Taylor crashing. So this is like the... Well, no, it can't be because the world blew up after Taylor crashed. Ah, uh, but see, they don't cover that. You're, you're absolutely right. They don't actually cover the destruction of the world. Yeah, remember, there is time travel involved. They could have arrived on the Planet of the Apes before Taylor did. Uh, no, because, they, because um, uh, what's his face? The Zaius actually says that something like this happened ten years before. Yes, but maybe he's referring to the animated series. Okay, now, I haven't seen the animated series. What happened in the animated series? The animated series starts off um, similar to the first Planet of the Apes film, where people crash on the planet, but in this one, it's a two men and a woman, and all three of them survive. Hmm. And they kind yeah, of they're... get split up. Some get captured, some get split up, but it does have the Dr. Zaius characters and uh, Cornelius and Zira as the ape. Now, so does, uh, does um, Roddy McDowell do the voice in the cartoon? No. No. Uh, in, uh, the uh, Dr. Cornelius is voiced by uh, Henry Corden and Edwin Mills in varying episodes. Now, what is like interesting, though, uh, there's three astronauts in the animated series Return to the Planet. Let's, let's you and me talk, Thrasher. There was a little Spanish ape. Yes. Da -da 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 a well, movie star. Thought he'd rape. Well, because here also Galen, the character of Galen is played by Roddy McDowell in the TV show. So, frankly, out of every actor in the entire thing, like, Roddy McDowell's connected to everything, and he seems to be the one who's been in the ape makeup the most. Well, he's got the most experience. He's the, he's the ape thespian. I mean, yeah, and again, I think he's an amazing actor. It's, it's mind-boggling just to think of him in all this. He's so... He really is the only real standout. I like the guy um, uh, who plays Orko in the TV series, uh, Mark Leonard. I think he actually does play kind of... He's the villain of the show along with Zaius, but I think he really portrays evil very well, even if the makeup isn't super great. It's, it's better than uh, Battle. Oh, yes. I'll give you that. But... Um, no, it just his acting is freaking amazing. How is the style of animation in the well, animated? Well, it's it's limited animation, but it's about standard for what you were going to see on television at the time. Is uh, it better than is it better than the Kirby Fantastic Four versus Magneto? Um, the only edge I'm going to give it over the Kirby Fantastic Four is that whenever a very real thing is depicted, such as a laboratory or a piece of military hardware like a tank or a plane, the rendering is practically photorealistic. Mm. That's the only real edge it has. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the, 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 animated, the original animated Fantastic Four series. There are a lot of similarities in addition to the style of voice acting and the style of animation. The music is very similar, too. Well, I guess... Again, I haven't seen it. What would you compare it style-wise? Do you know what the studio was? Oh, the studio for Turn of the Apes? Let me see. She did anything else. Oh, I'm sure. Well, actually, it was... Uh, well, you know what? Uh, Fritz Freeling, the legendary Warner Brothers animator, uh, headed up this... headed up uh, Return to the Planet of the Apes. Now, whether or not it was his studio, I don't know. Oh no! Here we go. It was it was, Da Pache Freeling Enterprises. That was the animation studio. No clue. Never heard of them. You you never heard of Fritz Freeling? No, doesn't sound familiar. Like Fr Fritz Freeling, Ub Iwerks, and Chuck Jones, uh, Chuck Jones and Tex Avery, and yeah. Bob Clampett. Those are the five gods of uh, Warner Brothers Animation. See, I recognize all the other names. Well, you know what I bet it is? Fritz Freeling, for most of his career in Warner Brothers, was credited as I Freeling because the, yes. the main producer... Oh, 
early on really had this thing like no nicknames you can't put your nicknames in the credits but all the animators you know they they went by nicknames so that's why in a lot of the early chuck jones animation he's not credited as chuck jones he's credited as charles m jones okay so then of course fritz freeling becomes i freeling that's weird oh wow it was also it was the same studio that did a lot of the uh, Dr. Seuss animated adaptations, like the uh, Chuck Jones' Cat in the Hat, which also had a very similar music style. It was, I guess it was sort of the in-house and avant-garde style. Not avant-garde, but a la mode style of music for animation at the time. Hmm. That... <laughs> with, the, with the cartoon series, is there a notable episode... You know, I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I would have to rewatch the series again to tell you the truth, to say whether or not there's a notable episode, but the series does have some notable images and notable moments. Oh, but actually, one important aspect of uh, Return to the Planet of the Apes, um, there, this is one thing that's amazing about the animated series. The, they, they try to tell a single, more or less cohesive story over the 13 episodes of the only season of the show. Hmm. Uh, so it really does have a definite arc, a definite beginning, middle, and an end, although sadly that ending doesn't come with much of a, revo- uh, much of a resolution. But one of the main uh, threads uh, throughout the series is that, uh, of course, you know Cornelius is an archaeologist, and he digs up secrets of the past. And one of the key moments in the show is that he uncovers an ancient book. An ancient book that proves that not only were humans civilized and intelligent creatures at one point in the past, but that their civilization predates ape civilization by centuries, if not millennia. And that book, and of course if that book gets out, it could have shattering consequences for ape civilization. And that book is a children's picture book called A Day at the Zoo. Wow. And and like it's so shocking, the book is so shocking that you know he doesn't think ape kind is ready for it. So he actually hands it over to these like ape monks who live in a monastery uh, in a snow-capped mountain peak. And the final episode of the series. Hello, uh, I'm back. I'm sorry. What did I miss? Oh, hello. A lot. Uh, so the, Don't worry. the final episode of the series, astronaut Bill Hudson and Cornelius go back to the monastery to get the book because Cornelius decides you know th- this is it. I have to show the book to the Ape Senate. They need to know that humans are thinking, feeling creatures like us, and we are going to have to deal with deal with that knowledge. And that's the final episode: is they get that book, and they're going to, and he's going to reveal it to the Ape Senate. But of course, that's the last episode. And even though the whole arc ends, there's no resolution, so we don't get to learn what happens when he does reveal this ancient text to the well, Ape Senate. It's weird that you talk about a book because that also is a lot of the central um, idea between the uh, of the show of the TV series. Um, uh, Colonel Alan Vierden and Major Peter J. Burke they crash on the planet and they're rescued by an old man, like uh, an old human. Um, the old the the human actually has a book as well that talks about. Um, uh, historical text and pictures of Earth circa 2,500. So that's what makes the astronauts think they're in the future, and then they see apes. Galen finds the human book that the old man was carrying, and he sees the the history of humanity before apes. Um, and he shows it to Zaius, who then accuses him of heresy and sentences him to death, which is why Galen goes on the lam with both human astronauts. So they all become, it's three fugitives wandering around the territory that used to be the western United States. Um, and seeing how, like, apes, humans, and old human civilization ruins. So it's like backpacking in Rome. While being hunted do they ever say, apes. Do they ever say it's California? Yeah, they, they specifically do talk about it being um, uh, San Francisco, where oh. Central City is. Does so the live-action show end on a cliffhanger that's not resolved, like the animated one? Uh, actually, I all I know is the the last episode, which I haven't seen. All I know is there's a human experimenting with flight, the hang glider he built himself. So a caveman-ish 
ape human thing has built a hang glider. Mm. And there are oh. it's that there are more there are intelligent humans. Um, I guess because they didn't want to just pay actors to just be in ape makeup, they do have some civilized humans. Well, they're like, they're like servants and slaves, right? Exactly. They're very much in the spirit of battle for the Planet of the Apes. Actually, I've seen that episode with the hang glider. As I recall, you know, it's a big, exciting episode, and in the end, you will believe an ape slash man can fly. <laughs> but it's just, it's, it's as fancy a finale, season finale as it is, it is just another episode. Nothing's really resolved, and it was clearly made with the complete intention that they were going to get a few more episodes down the line. Well, actually, it's really funny. The show was canceled halfway through the season because of low ratings. They were in direct competition by NBC's Sanford and Son and Chico and the Man. How wow. do you compete with... You can't. With Chico... And the, the man, sun. one of the people on there is Freddie Rodriguez, right? Yeah. I sad. wish he would have killed himself earlier so Freddie Prince what? Jr. wouldn't have been around. Wow. Oh really? Well, I, I, Freddie Prince Jr. is, I think, is just a vacuum of talent. But um, I've, I've actually <laughs> never seen Chico and the Man. That perhaps was a rude thing to say. No, but... no, you're pretty... You know, Chico and the Man, not a great show. I prefer Sanford and Son. I really... Oh, sure. I, yeah. Chico and the Man, I just find it incredibly dumb humor, just awful. It's not funny. Oh, um, you were talking earlier about uh, how uh, Rodney McDowell is the, the vital connection between the Apes movies and the live-action Apes series. There is a connection between the Ape movies and Return of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, the, uh, the African-American astronaut, astronaut Jeff Carter, he's played by uh, the actor Austin Stoker, who, interestingly Wait, enough, was in Battle for the Planet of the Apes. He plays Malcolm. He plays, um, uh, oh, yeah. He plays the aide to the governor. Yes. Really? Yeah, oh, he, again, he has a great voice. I mean, sure. he is the voice of sort of reason in Battle for the Planet Apes and also Conquest. So I guess, I think it's it's awesome. But he plays, he plays an astronaut, right? Yes, he plays one of the astronauts. Now, what is the point... Oh, is there a point to the female character? She's she's one of the well, the, you know, I, I'm gonna say this. She's is all the most of the characters do come off as being practically cardboard. The only characters with real definite personalities are the apes, uh, specifically Zaius, General Urko, who's the antagonist throughout most of the series, the the ape general that that wants to seize power and rule ape society himself. And, of course, Cornelius and Zira, although Cornelius is more of a worrywart and Zira is just infinitely concerned for the, the intelligent humans. Um, the humans are, for the most part, I would say interchangeable. Neither of the three astronauts, Bill Houston, Judy Franklin, or Jeff Carter, really has a definite personality. That being said, they all have things that they do and that they accomplish during the show. Uh, the astronaut Judy Franklin is important. One of the... Uh, things that gets revealed. Uh, in Return of the Planet of the Apes, the, there is a mutant civilization uh, descended from ancient humans living in catacombs and complexes, all, all you know, under the apes, ape city and the Forbidden Zone. Uh, and they, they kind of worship Judy Franklin. They, this is one thing that, that annoys me about the show, is that both the apes and the underdwellers, as the mutants are called, they they both make references to like a to a prophecy that has something to do with you know in, intelligent humans, but they never get down to what that prophecy actually is, what it states, or who gave it. Um, just kind of a vague idea of where it's written down. Well, the underdwellers' version of the prophecy involves Judy Franklin. In their catacombs, there is a bust of astronaut Judy Franklin. And it's labeled, and it has two labels on it, Missing and USA. But they don't know it's USA. They think it's the word USA. And they refer to her as USA, the one who will lead them to the green world of the Earth's surface. And unfortunately, uh, that is another thing that doesn't get resolved. And so she actually lives with the underdwellers for a time and does become a link between the, between the humans and the underdwellers. Actually, I got a question for you. You said Urko is the general in the cartoon? Yes, G General Urko. 
who does his who does his voice? Henry Corden, who is actually the uh, the man who voiced Fred Flintstones from the seventies through the eighties. Huh. And you he, can really hear that in his voice. He's played by Mark Leonard in the TV series, but it's the same general then. Well, at least the same name, yeah. So the animated series came a few years after the live action one. Well, one year after. Uh, in seventy four. Right. Seventy five. Yes. No, so, I have it it's here. Seventy four. Friday evenings at eight p.m. So remember, guys, to tune in. <laughs> so Galen, I know you're on a time crunch, Mr. Galen. So uh, I have got ten minutes. Right. So, so let's, let's get Dabble onto the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes. From, yeah, let's not. From oh, okay, but so we can, we can be brief about it. It's well, Uncle Milkshake. You and I can continue to discuss things. Number That's... one, I'd like to say one thing. Yeah. Mark Wahlberg likes to talk to animals. <laughs> it's a very good SNL sketch. Yes, Mark Wahlberg loves talking to animals, and I guess uh, apes and eggshell ships and uh, yeah. and then good makeup and some good wire work, stupid human servants, and uh, just I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's very it's very telling that you speak with suppressed rage when discussing. Uh, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, which was released in 2001, which, unlike all the other eight movies we've discussed, does not have a connection to the original Planet of the Apes. No, no, it's... not even Roddy McDowell. No Roddy McDowell. And I don't know if you can really call it a remake. It's sort of like a, a reboot, maybe, but then it had no real sequels to it. Well, um, well to be fair, re- reboot, like reimagining, is another empty word that marketing executives came up with so that they could have their remake cake and eat I'm sorry, so that they could eat their remake cake and have it too. Um, so before you go, uh, Galen, you were mentioning you had some information about they're doing a upcoming prequel Apes movie called uh, Rise of the Apes. I I can really only it okay. Rise of the Apes has a uh, director has release date, and supposedly it's going to be a lot of CGI. So I'm guessing the CGI will be able to create um, the apes as that as they would look a little better. Um, they it's being done by Fox, same people who did Planet of the Apes. Um, so the release date, according to Wikipedia, is June 24th, 2011. That seems awfully soon, considering there's no cast announcements. Uh, filming doesn't. Well, the only started. real cast announcement is that James Franco is apparently going to star. That's right. right. Also, at least, Wyatt, at least according to the Onion AD Club, Ru- uh, Rupert Wyatt is supposed to be um, the director, but I haven't heard anything confirming that. Um, and actually. And Unwed is supposed to be helping a bunch, um, but uh, but just their digital, um, their digital arm. What a digital is going to be doing uh, the effects on the film. I don't know if they're also going to be doing a lot of the physical effects through their workshops. Um, it's also been called Caesar: Rise of the Apes, uh, Caesar, and also called Genesis: Apes. So a few different potential titles. Which also makes me think that it's not really getting made. Well, I, I'm I'm betting this film has been reworked countless times. I'll believe it when I see the first like trailer or pictures from the set or something. Like I don't. Oh. Although I mean, it, there's been a lot of official announcements about it, and if the movie's really coming out so soon, we'll we'll, we'll hear more in the near future. Yeah, we may have to have a sequel cast news flash in a later episode uh, to reveal more information about this film. Yeah, yeah. Sure if their trailer or something comes out. Although that would give us an, a unique opportunity, the opportunity to to do an episode about a sequel the same week the sequel's released. I'm trying to find what else Rupert Wyatt has worked on. It says he's done some British... He did some British um, movie uh, starring Brian Cox called The Escapist. Yeah, he really hasn't done much Rise of the Apes and Birdsong. Ticks get the picture I, I don't see anything that I've ever actually I think I heard of this, the escapist so nothing that main uh, mainstream no let's see okay so the escapist was an Irish uh, UK co-production 
premiered at the 2008 Sundance Film Festival. Oh no! It was I mean, the Escapist. Yeah, it is. It's about uh, on a, it's about a prisoner trying to escape with the help of fellow prisoners. What was can that? Can we return to the topic of the Planet of the Apes? Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. Subject so of the Planet of the Apes. I'm gonna get off. Okay. You guys continue to talk about Tim Burton. Uh, I'll so bet you are, Galen. Thank you, thank you guys for coming with us. All right. I mean, Galen. Bye, Galen. Whatever. Ape speed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so we be sure to listen to. Well, it the one time. thing that I didn't get a chance to say. Yes. About about the um the uh, animated series, they really really commit to it being a Planet of the Apes, uh, to the point you well, just like like in the original film when when you know any any quote or witticism that would mention man they mention ape, they do the same thing in, in uh, Return to the Planet of the Apes, but even more so. Jeez, uh, old fast. Thankfully, it's done. Thankfully, they only do it about once per episode. At least the really egregious ones. But but the two the, the well the one that well there's there's three I want to point out. First, the lamest one. There's an episode where where General Urko uh, General Urko steals a bunch of treasures from a museum and make plants evidence to make it look like the underdwellers are responsible so he can get the Senate to authorize a genocidal war against the underdwellers. And one of the priceless art treasures stolen is the Ape Elisa. <laughs> and it's the Mona Lisa as an ape, as you would expect. Yeah. Then there's one of the more clever, more pun-based ones, interestingly enough, in that same episode, um, that... Uh, Cornelius and Zira, when they were married, Zira's family gave Cornelius this like this book, this big leather-bound book, a classic of ape literature, and it's the complete collected works of William Apespear. And the wonderful thing I love is they never like they never say they they never say William Apespear. Get it? They right. just say it really conversationally. Oh, and that's the other thing. Uh, the apes always refer to their world as the planet of the apes, except in, I think, the last or second or last episode when Urko refers to it as Earth for no adequately explained reason. Uh, but the, the final one, and this just elevates that to high art, um, they always refer to the humans simply as the humanoids. And uh, there's an episode where the two male astronauts uh, need to, <clears throat> excuse me, where the, uh, the two male astronauts, Bill Hudson and Jeff Carter, they need to sneak into the Ape City, so they sneak into the back of a, of a delivery truck, and it's a truck delivering hay, and the truck driver is this kind of like hillbilly ape. He's wearing overalls, he's got a straw hat on, and he's chewing on a sprig of wheat, uh, and playing on the radio is this old-fashioned honky-tonk uh, country-western song called I'm, and the chorus of the song is, I'm going humanoid over you. Hmm. And <laughs> they say some mates don't like bananas, and from what I'm here I'm betting that is true. But the one thing that I surely know, girl, is I'm going humanoid over you. And like, there's the banjo. And they commit to it. They play almost the entire song throughout that scene. It's pretty impressive. And I love that they commit to it. When I the episode I saw of the animated uh, show was just the uh, first episode, but I was really struck how he had long periods with no dialogue, and these humans walking across these barren landscapes. It really helped convey the mood of the uh, first part of the original Planet of the Apes film. Yeah, and they really commit to that. I mean, it's it's a very it's a surprisingly sophisticated show for its time period. It's like the writers really did try to inherit the legacy from, from the Planet of the Apes films and try to make something with some real value. It is definitely worth watching. And I did enjoy the, uh, the artwork in the uh, theme song sequence. Not that the music is that memorable, especially, but you get a lot of these weird colors and these uh, character sketches of the different characters in the show. Oh, it's very graphic and sophisticated. Yeah. Yes. So, let's... Uh, circle back to the uh, Tim Burton Planet of the Apes. We spoke yes. about it briefly with Galen before he had to leave us. This movie I saw twice in the theater for some reason. I saw it really? once by myself on opening day because I was very excited. And then I had some friends that hadn't seen it, so I saw it a few weeks later with them in the theater. And 
The opening credit sequence has this very dramatic music by Danny Elfman showing close-ups of different ape uh, armor and weapons, and it's very moody and effective. I really enjoy the makeup in this film. I think they went a different approach from the old Planet of the Apes movies, but tried to go for a more realistic look, I guess? I don't know, a lot more fur, a lot more detail. And, um, since it was done in 2001, they did it without computer effects for uh, the makeup. Yeah, I, I gotta say, the makeup in, in Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes films is very good. It, it, is, it is exceptional. However, Ari's makeup is horrible. That's the female ape, right? Yes, the, yeah. the one, the one that, the, the one that you know wants humans to be treated better. She, she does not look like a chimpanzee. Like I, I don't know why, but it's like they tried to make her sexy in a human way and not just an adorable ape, which is probably what they should have done. And so, as a result, you know, her, the makeup that Helena Bonham Carter wears, it just. It's just so lackluster. It doesn't look like an ape. It doesn't look human. It doesn't even look cute. It looks grotesque, grotesquely sexualized. It looks like a ape-human hybrid. And uh, when we had Rich Handy on for the Escape of the Planet of the Apes episode, he's the author of uh, a timeline of the Planet of the Apes. Chronology of oh, the Planet. Sorry, of the Chronology of Planet of the Apes. And author of the upcoming um, Encyclopedia of the Apes. I got that title wrong. Whatever. I'm going to cut that out. He was mentioning how early versions of the script had a sort of love triangle between Mark Wahlberg and the Helena Bottom Carter ape and someone else. You could tell a lot of that seemed to have bled over to the draft that was filmed. Sure, and a very creepy, I don't know, I mean, like, you're right, like, that example of makeup doesn't work, but everyone else, I think in particular, out of all the apes, I enjoy uh, Paul Giamatti and Michael. Oh. It was a really fun uh, sort of scummy orangutan. Well, well, you know, he, he... Paul Giamatti is one of those actors who will just devour a role, and I think that's why he played Limbo the orangutan so well. Just the way he moves, the way... Just the energy he brings into the role is pretty pretty good, and... Uh, and he's just that perfect sort of sniveling voice. Yeah, and I, I did like Tim Roth as General Fade, the villain in the movie. I think he, you know, was impressively evil? I don't know, how do, you, how do you say that? He appears very threatening. Well, I guess, I guess, I guess we ought to explain what happens in this movie. Yeah. I mean, what do you even call this a remake? I don't even... Well, I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm okay. going to, because remake is the perfect name for a piece of... Shit? Culturally, culturally <laughs> irrelevant, culturally irrelevant, hollow, meaningless creatively bankrupt ejecta, which is what this film is. Uh, so but yeah, yours works well, too. Yeah. Well, like, it's like, what was it? There's some space station at the edge of the solar system exploring some sort of anomaly, and they're training genetically modified apes to fly probes into the anomaly. Because I guess, I guess that's my first question. Like, why not use robotic probes? I mean, I, I guess you could. I, one could argue, well, you can't send remote control probes. The anomaly fucks with signals. But really, you can't program a robot to, to fly in, turn around, and fly out? I mean, also, is the life of the chimpanzee Pericles that useful where you have to send a human out to try and save him? Yeah, because, like... Shot out into this uh, storm? Well, because it's, it's bad enough that, like, the, the human life support requirements on a space station, but now you're tacking on very active animal life support requirements. But, yeah, so one of the apes goes flying off in, in the pod into the, into the anomaly, uh, and then Mark Wahlberg has to get into a pod and get him for, for vaguely defined reasons. Yeah, I mean, other than the overall story being pretty weak and a far cry from uh, some of the more intellectual stuff in the uh, original ape films Mark Wahlberg is my biggest single problem with this movie he's very bland in the first film uh, Charlton Heston and even James Franciscus in the second film Beneath the Planet of the Apes has sort of a muscular very macho presence and Mark Wahlberg while I, I enjoyed his performance in Boogie Nights, I think anything I've seen him in since then is very one-note and bland and not the most charismatic actor in the world. 
Well, he has a range that a lot of directors don't take advantage of, and then Burton is one of those directors. I'm sure if I'm sure if you know his character was played by Johnny Depp, there would have been an amazing explosion of multicolored emotions. Sure, but you know Wahlberg isn't part of Burton's regular cast, so we don't get much out of him. Yeah, Burton does tend to reuse actors a lot in different ways, whether it's uh, although Johnny Depp. Or- John Depp is a kind of fey boy-child astronaut time traveler. I'm just thinking him as the fey uh, Ichabod Crane in Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, but that works. Uh, Oh, sure, sure. So, yeah, so he flies his pod through the the anomaly, and the next thing you know, he crashes on the planet of the apes, a planet where apes rule and live in giant treehouses and humans are slaves, and the apes think humans don't have souls. I think that's something... I liked. I liked that there. That I. I liked that one of the reasons that the apes kept the humans down was that you know they they stated that human beings were animals. Human beings don't have souls, and I thought that was really great. And I liked that they kind of they try to have like an ape religion, but I just feel it is so barely sketched out. You know, I I have absolutely no throughout the film. I have absolutely no sense of how the apes' religion affects their lives in any way other than the fact that they have a deity's name to swear and that it gives them an excuse to be prejudiced against humans. Oh, and also, uh, in addition to that, I mean, not that they don't even cover that, really, with their religion, but here you have a director of this film, Tim Burton, and his movies are usually pretty stylized and kind of darker in tone, and yet there's very little that feels uh, Tim Burton about this uh, Planet of the Apes film. Yeah, like even... They're, they're, even the only per- scene that I ever thought reminded me of the previous or the Tim Burton films is there's there's an ape um, called Senator Nato that's a big, fat ape played by Glenn Shadix. And he has a little girl in his bedroom in a cage. And the, um, Senator Nato jumps up and down on top of the bed. And it, it, I don't know, just something about the lighting in that scene seemed a bit more like Tim Burton, but um, much as in the uh, Batman movie from 1989, there isn't much Tim Burtonisms in this particular Well, well no, no, in the Batman, in Tim Burton's Batman, I can tell that's a Tim Burton film. There's certain things he does with black and white in that film, with, with you know, with, with like a limited color palette, and there's certain camera angles and certain flourishes in that film. I can tell it's a Tim Burton film. Uh, well, but compared to Batman Returns, which is... Oh, I agree. That is a much more Tim Burton film. <laughs> but but you're right. There's really nothing in this 2001's Planet of the Apes to distinguish it as a Tim Burton film. It looks like something anyone could have directed. One thing that Galen has brought up in another uh, podcast is he really likes how, during some of the battle scenes, the apes like to run on all fours. And that that is, was good. That yeah, was very. That's a very interesting visual because in the other ones, the they all walk upright like humans, or they're on top of horses. And you have the horses in here too, but the apes leaping and doing some more animalistic behavior while moving around or in battles and need touch. Oh, I thought that was very good. That was a wonderful touch, and and that that's you know that's something that they probably couldn't have done that successfully with the technology at the time. Um, actually, look, that's another thing about about the ape behavior. And, and sadly, you know, in the course of my research for this episode of the sequel cast, I could not find an answer to this question, but there's a thing running through 2001's Planet of the Apes that the apes are hydrophobic. They, they don't like water, they're scared of water, uh, apparently because they don't have a layer of body fat, so if they get in water, they'll drown. And that's a key part of the film, is there's a river the humans can cross, and the apes can't, and the humans have to take uh, one of the... the, the uh, uh, oh gosh, no, no. Uh, Mark Wahlberg's character has to take uh, Ari across the the river, and she's really panicking, but he's you know supporting or keeping her buoyant. And is that true? Do apes not have that layer of uh, layer of subcutaneous fat that helps them maintain buoyancy in water? Because uh, I have I have two there's I have two things that makes me question this whole part of the movie. One, what about those apes that use hot springs? If you've seen if you've seen the film Baraka. There is there's lots of in a number of nature documentaries. There's there are apes that will actually bathe in hot springs, and will stay in there for extended periods. They don't mind the water, so it's not like even if they even if they can't stay buoyant, 
you know, they 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 clearly don't have a fear of it. Uh, and then second, that sounds like one of those urban legends you hear on uh, on the playground in school. Hey, you know, apes can't swim. They don't have fat. They'll sink. And it feels like that the writer of this movie assumed that was the case and put it in the film without checking up on it. And, but again, I'll admit, I don't know whether or not apes can sink or float. But it just, it, it looks like something that was, or rather sounds like something that was made up for the movie to make that river scene work. I recall on the DVD for this film they do have a documentary that uh, was on HBO and it mentions how all the actors that played the apes went through ape school and were trained to try and walk like apes and observing apes in real life and videos of apes walking and posture and, and so forth, but it had no information about that fear of water, from what I recall. Yeah, I The DVD and, does have an audio commentary by Tim Burton, but I uh, have not listened to it. He, he spends two hours apologizing, I'm sure. <laughs> And then no, he brings that's, that's, a, that's Joel Schumacher on the Batman and Robin DVD. <laughs> oh, another wonderful series. Literally blames him um, on himself. Yeah, and and of course that's another thing that bothers me about about that. So so you're telling me the apes haven't invented the raft or the life preserver? I mean, they they, they seem to have some decent engineering skills. They're able to build those tree houses. I recall seeing like a pulley operated elevator in one scene. Clearly, you think, wait a minute, wood buoyant, we can use this to cross bodies of water when it's strategically convenient. Just the kind of thing that sticks with me. Yeah. Oh, I just was going to say, I mean, overall, the movie's plot doesn't really stick out to me. Well, it's like... And the apes don't seem Chasing well a human, the human chasing some way to maybe get back to his home time. Yep. yep. A lot of chase scenes. Although, now that I think about it, you know, the, the notion that he may have... You know, I'm not even sure if it's even clearly explained that he traveled through time. I think he assumes he traveled through space. Uh, oh, you know what? And then there's the whole explanation of how we got a Planet of the Apes. Apparently, one of the apes aboard the space station leads an ape rebellion, and they kill the they they kill a lot of the humans, and then the space station slash ship whatnot falls through the anomaly and crashes on this planet, and that's where we get the humans and the apes. So again, there's there's no there's no um, there's no real thing about evolution. There's just the genetic engineering. There's um, there's there's no sort of peril about parable about you know the the, the dangers of, of of nuclear war and, and and falling back to the Stone Age. It seems it seems like the apes actively at some point in the history the apes actively oppressed humanity back into the Stone Age somehow, and then forgot they did it. I did think it was. Uh... There was a Trollton Heston cameo in this movie. I did like his cameo. I thought that was very good. That was one of the highlights of this film for me. Although, if you didn't know that was Trollton Heston, I'm not sure if you'd be able to figure it out. Yeah, I guess the, the only real giveaway is when he when he repeats his line, the, the damn you, damn you all to hell from the original Planet of the Apes, but in a completely different context, but it still works. When, when, uh, when Trollton Heston's character gives a preserved human firearm to uh, to the ape antagonist, General Thade. And and that's actually kind of, you know, rather interesting because Charlton Heston has been very vocal about his support for the NRA and, and, and gun rights and whatnot. Um, and yet I can't and, and yet I can't have wondering what he thought about that scene. Because depending on how you look at it, that that his whole speech when he hands over the gun could be considered a condemnation of firearms. On the other hand, it could also be considered a condemnation of thoughtless use of a firearm. All right, it all depends on your uh, point of view. I mean, look at it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm assuming I'm assuming Heston believed it was a condemnation of 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 careless use of a firearm, rather than a condemnation of firearms in general. But I, I think that's a very powerful, very very effective scene. I really like that scene. I wish this film had more of it. And it does give you a more a, a better connection to the original apes. I just really can't say much more about this film because I don't... Oh, well, we we can fast forward to the ending. Oh, okay, sure. So, I mean, or, do you have any or, more notes about this film you want to talk about? Like, it's um, it's not, not the worst thing I've ever seen. It's okay. It's it's alright. It could have had... Thong Girl Part 3. <laughs> Planet of the Apes, this remake could have been worse if you liked other films in the 
Oh, I guess I'll go into my more of my final thoughts at the end. So well, at the end we of the do movie, need to talk about the ending of this movie though. Yep. Well, so Mark Wahlberg goes in the middle of the desert, finds the wreckage of the ancient spacecraft, of the ancient human spacecraft. He's surrounded by the ape army. It looks like shit's gonna go down, and then what? A, the space pod falls from the sky. And the ape that first got lost in the anomaly is in the pod, and everybody's amazed. They think it's effectively the second coming of ape Jesus. They're all stunned. Mark Wahlberg hands him the ape, gets into his pod, takes off, flies back to the anomaly, comes out of the anomaly, you know, heads straight to Earth, so apparently their craft can go that kind of a distance um, uh, on one tank of fuel. Uh, flies, flies to Earth, you know, Burn, you know, shoots to the atmosphere. It crashes in the National Mall in Washington D.C. in the reflecting pool. He gets out of the pod, and what does he see, Uncle Milkshake? He sees the oh, what is that statue called? The Washington Monument. He sees the Washington Monument. No, I'm sorry, the Lincoln Memorial. Uh, of course, right. He sees the Lincoln Memorial, but instead of Abraham Lincoln, it's Abraham Lincoln, so to speak. Well, no, it's not Abraham Lincoln. It's an ape. It's General Thade, the guy he defeated kind of earlier in the movie. That's right. It's he's in the same pose the way as he Abraham down Lincoln in the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah, and it's so we get so it's like a terrible pun. Abraham Lincoln, all the rescue vehicles and police cars that have shown up at this crash site, it all opens up, and they're all a bunch of apes, and you know. Uh, and Mark Wahlberg does everything short of falling to his knees, shaking his fist at the sky and going, "No!" Yeah, not the uh, the best ending. I mean, they were in a tricky position because the original Planet of the Apes has such an iconic ending. Yes. How can and, you try and top that? Or well, I guess the thing is, they're foolish to try to top that. They sh- if they were going to try to do that, they should have tried to go a completely different direction. Instead, they they graft on this this gruesomely lackluster twist ending that does come out of nowhere because the movie apparently contradicts itself because the planet of the apes he landed on wasn't Earth. I don't know how, and I don't know how apes took over Earth and then built an exact replica of human civilization complete with its own Washington, D.C. and and Lincoln Memorial. And it's it's just so embarrassing because like what little good feelings I had for the film by the ending were completely wiped away by those last three minutes. I felt embarrassed by that ending. Yeah, it's very very convenient with the other, with the chimp with the uh, ape from the beginning coming in and him getting in the escape pod and going off. Well, that I don't mind because you know it just kind of cements that time travel's involved. You know, I don't mind that. I don't mind that. It's just the whole coming back to Earth and then Earth being the planet of the apes and, and ape Lincoln. It just it just seems so needlessly tacked on. Yeah, and yet, you know, I mean, this movie made a lot of money, and yet they didn't make a direct sequel to it for whatever reason. How, how terrible would that have been, Mark Wahlberg's Escape from the Planet of the Apes? It would have been worth to see, to see how they get out of that ending from the first one. I wonder if it would turn out to all be a dream. <laughs> Would you just run back into the escape pod and take off again? We can only hope, <laughs> but you know who who knows. Uh, he'll 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 put on an ape spacesuit and sneak up with some ape astronauts, hijack the ape space shuttle, and fly that back through the anomaly. So let's uh, round this out. What are your uh, final thoughts on this, a Planet of the Apes 2001 film? And uh, would you recommend that people watch it? N- no. Uh, I, I I really really wouldn't. It's it's one of the only watch it if you want to know firsthand how disappointed you should be by it. Uh, it's not worth your time. You'll get many more hours of, of worthwhile entertainment and possibly enlightenment from watching the original Planet of the Apes films. You know the live action series. It's okay. Only see that if you're a completist. The animated series definitely check that out. I think it is worth your time. You'll just have to accept the fact that the animation is limited by the budget and technology available to television animation at the time. 2001 Planet of the Apes, stay away. You're, you're much better going and watching Seduction Cinema's Playmate of the Apes, the Planet of the Apes-inspired porno, starring Misty Monday, hot stuff. Oof. People with ape makeup in that film? Yes, although thankfully you don't see him have sex. Really? You only have to worry about... Only nudity, human nudity. It's great. The apes are only really there to deliver jokes. I would say, with the live-action ape series, 
skip it. Granted, I only saw part of an episode, but it seems sort of sluggish, and um, according to what Thrasher said about it, it didn't seem worth pursuing in much more detail. Return to the Planet of the Apes, the animated series. You can watch it all for free currently on Hulu.com. Although, be forewarned, the episodes on Hulu are are in the original broadcast order, and when they were originally broadcast, they were broadcast out of order. Really? Uh, and yes, you can find the correct chronological viewing order on Wikipedia. Uh, so, so as if you if you watch it, the order they have on Hulu, it is a little confusing because characters will get rescued bef- in episodes before they get kidnapped. Um, so, if you're going to watch them in the order that they're on the Hulu website, you, there is going to be a bit of confusion caused by that chronological distortion. But thankfully, episode one is the first episode, and episode thirteen is the last episode. So, at least the first and last episodes are in the right order. But what I saw of that, I thought was interesting, you know, sort of a more intellectual cartoon. Uh, something about the tone of it reminded me, or the look of it, reminded me a bit of the uh, Star Trek animated series. S- similar limited animation techniques, yes. Yeah, I don't know if it's by the same company, but... Uh, uh, no, I believe uh, Star Trek the Animated Series was by, uh, was by Filmation. Oh, okay. Is uh, Tim Burton Planet of the Apes? I wouldn't even recommend it, even if you're a Tim Burton fan or a Planet of the Apes fan. It's very dull and dreary. If you're going to see it, maybe, maybe see it for Paul Giamatti as Limbo. You know, watch the first 20 minutes of it. Some of that's That's kind of, true. Some of, it, tr- some of it's kind of amusing. Uh, just from watching the trailer, you get a good idea of what the ape makeup looks like, and that's uh, by far the best thing in this particular film. So next time on the sequel cast, we're going to be starting a new series of movies. We're going to be covering the uh, Bill & Ted Excellent Adventure film. Excellent! And that, uh, those movies actually had two spin-offs, a live action and an animated series. And a comic book. Oh, that too, yeah, so we'll, we'll mention those if, uh, along the way. So, this is uh, Uncle Milkshake. And Thrasher. Saying... Goodbye from the planet of the apes. <laughs> <laughs>